Telus International Studios, where customer experience meets digital transformation. Welcome back to Telus International Studios, the podcast series about world-class customer experience and digital technologies and how the two increasingly intersect. I'm your host, Patrick Hawhey, and my guest on this episode describes himself as an unusual leader. He has worked with and has led a number of different companies across several different sectors. He invests in startups and he writes for publications such as Forbes. In his most recent book, he argues that the traditional business plan is dead. Too long, too complicated and too quickly becomes out of date. And in our interview, he talks about the business plan of the future talks about the technologies of the future and also the laser sharp view of world-class customer experience that he has developed over many years leading organizations and working with entrepreneurs. My guest is Aidan Connolly, CEO at Kainthus and president of AgriTech Capital. And I started by asking Aidan to explain why he describes himself as an unusual leader. Well, I'm not sure why I'm an unusual leader, but um, I certainly had a very varied um varied history past uh, from a professional perspective. I joined a company that started, as you know, very small at 24 million in turnover, an Irishman based in America, based in Kentucky. And over the 28 years I passed her, worked with him in Alltech, it grew to 28 to, to 2.4 billion. And that allowed me to travel to more than 100 countries start businesses for him throughout South America, Europe, travel extensively in Asia, and then taking those experiences and starting to deal with startups that are in the tech field. The tech field I was in prior to this, of course, was more nutrition and probiotics and nutritional supplements. Tech I'm involved in now is more about artificial intelligence and sensors and robots and um, everything relating to food and agri. But it's the same principles for me, which is how do you explain what technology is? How do you market or sell that technology to a consumer that probably has never seen it before? How do you create teams of people with the enthusiasm to not just embrace the technology internally, but to become uh, your advocates, your uh, convincers, your missionaries for that technology outside of your organization? Because this is so key, and and I probably I, when I was reading up about some of the things we could talk about, um, it struck me that there's kind of some some similarities to what I do, for example. So let's say I could have the best podcast series in the entire world, but ultimately it's just a, a few MP3 files, audio files sitting on my computer until I start to go out and communicate um, and let people know about this podcast series and why they should listen and what value it provides, it will provide for them. It's going to go nowhere. So it seems to be there's similarities. You could have the best piece of technology, the most disruptive digital technology in the world. But until you start communicating to people about it, uh, it's it's just a piece of technology sitting on your desk or on your desktop. Well, Patrick, I hope you're not going to disappoint me. I thought I was on the best podcast in the world. (laughs) I was referring to a a, a hypothetical series. Of course, this one is. (laughs) This one definitely is. And and I I think uh, being backed by uh, being backed by TELUS, uh, very active also in this space of of agri-tech. Look, I think that um, there is a presumption like the movie Field of Dreams, Builders and They Will Come, And I think every tech company that I'll meet will say the same thing, which is technology, eventually somebody has to sell something to somebody else 
who's never used it, never tried it, and probably never imagined that they required it. That is just fundamental to business and particularly to the tech business. And I think a lot of us imagine that if our technology is so spectacular, surely we don't need to sell it. Sadly, that's not the reality. Maybe it's not sad at all for people like me because that's my bread and butter. But it is about how do you communicate uh, what you have in a way that allows people to understand it and then want to have it. And is this where we come to um, is something you developed while in Alltech called the five C's of selling innovations? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Um, that I wrote about that recently on Forbes, on my column in Forbes. Um, yeah, the five C's were really about how does somebody who's got a new idea distill it down to as little as possible and to be clear about how they're going to communicate on it. And it's very useful for, for selling. It's also useful for marketing, useful for obviously being in an elevator with somebody when you've got to tell them what you're doing. So the, the five C's uh, for me, the first one is corporate. And I think a lot of people think, well, if I'm in a situation with my new tech, I need to tell them who I am or I need to tell them about the technology. But actually, the company behind the technology is essential. And even if it's a startup, you need to learn to use a language that gives people confidence in who you are, that you're going to be around for the long term, and the technology that you're providing is something that you really understand and are going to back. So the first C for me is corporate. Might be a bit counterintuitive, but I think it's very important to sell your company first. Second C is clarity. How can you describe the product if you think of the best technologies in the world? They've frequently, you can describe them in two words, three words. It's very easy to know what they are. Um, you think about the uh, iPod, you think about the iPhone, you think about ways in which when you put the word smart and phone together, everybody understands intrinsically what you're talking about and it doesn't, it doesn't require sentences or paragraphs. Third one, consistency. I want to know that what I'm using, what I'm buying, what I'm going to uh, put my, stake my life on works on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, not just on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, cost effectiveness, what am I spending? What do I get back? I don't know how somebody convinced me to spend $1,000 on a smartphone, but obviously they did. Um, and and that's, the, that's a very core part of not just telling what the price is, but associating it immediately with the value. And the final one, which is uh, consultative, so what can I do for you after I've sold? And I try to finish every meeting I have by asking the customer, is there anything else I could do for you? Sometimes you get puzzled looks as though, uh, well, what, what exactly are you offering? But it's amazing the sorts of answers they give you when they think, well, no, he's not just talking about some service or product or not just talking about something that he has. He's talking about more globally, how can his business or he help my business? And uh, those extraordinary ideas bring are the, the, the kernels of, of a whole load of very large plants uh, that grow and flourish as time goes on. How often or maybe uh, um, how little of the time do you see all five of these C's correctly applied? Is there a lot of work to be done, particularly in the startup world that you would have a lot of experience in in this in this part? I've never seen anybody do it properly. Mm. So unfortunately, we make different mistakes along the road. Uh, I mentioned the key one, which is I've got to sell myself first. And then I can't talk about my company because nobody's heard of it. So therefore, it's not going to carry any weight. 
it's not going to carry any credibility. Uh, both of those answers, I think, are wrong. Um, yes, it's important the person knows who you are and believes in you, but just absolutely start by making sure you've got a foundation of the company. Um, I think a lot of us, when we get to the technology, we're not used to explaining it succinctly. And I think pitch fests are good for this because they encourage you to think about the two, three words, but that should be the mantra all the time, all the time distilling down your message, your idea, what it is that you do that's unique, down to as few words as possible. And uh, the rest of it follows in order as well. But yes, some people do one or two. Um, I've rarely seen anybody, unless they've been really taken through it and you've had the opportunity to talk about it, I've rarely seen anybody address all five. And I think the one thing that people really do, like uh, of the five, uh, perhaps one that would really jump out at people is the is it, is it what they call the mother test. It's just explaining in an, in a nice, simple sentence or two. If your mother asked you, what, sure, what, what do you do in that company exactly that you can do that? So it, do you have any any advice for um, uh, for companies, company founders um, about how to actually do that? Is there a strategy? Is there a process? Is there something they could be thinking about? I, I like your mother test. I think that's the one. And I've heard uh, your President Biden talking about that as well. You know, stop using big words. Don't, would your mother know what you've just said? Yeah. What does that word mean? And I think that we fall into that trap, particularly in the technology world. I hate acronyms. Of course, I love them when I know what they mean. But usually they're intended. Uh, I lived in Washington, D.C. for about six years. And every acronym was intended to separate the insiders from the outsiders so again, not customer friendly. But I think the key piece is, if you're capable of distilling or describing your idea in two words, think of how powerful that is. So spending time with your colleagues, with your friends, and with people who know nothing about what you do, and just constantly trying out different words, different phrases, until you get to the words that people really engage with. Um, I think it's as simple as that. But it is an essential part for any tech startup that they work out how to do that, because if it gets too convoluted, too exclusionary, too much us and them, clearly, yeah, my, 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 maybe you feel happy about it, but you're never, ever going to uh, you're never going to make very many sales. I, I'm sure the other thing that can happen is when you're an entrepreneur with a successful product, the, well, let's just say if you're an entrepreneur with a product, you have to believe in that so much that the amount of sacrifice you have to make in order to build that product and try and get it out there is so consuming that you have to have ultimate belief in that product and why it's good or the service, why it's good and why people should want it, which perhaps puts us in the situation that when we are sitting down with a customer um, or a potential customer, we have such phenomenal belief in the value of this product or service that we don't expect any tricky questions. We don't expect why they may not understand why anybody should use this product or service. Something you've written about recently is that surprise objection you should have seen coming. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I'm very impressed that you're reading up all this stuff. <laughs> oh, well, listen, how good uh, that, that, and it's, but it's great. The one thing, well, I, I'll interject there to say that the one thing I will say about your writing is that you're, you practice what you preach. You distill, you distill complex topics down very, very simply. You break it up into manageable chunks and you really know how to communicate. So I think people would have a lot to learn from, from how you communicate because 
because it's simple, it's straight, and it makes sense and it works. So, uh, so compliments on that. <laughs> I enjoy reading your oh, stuff. They're, they're, no, no, thank you. Uh, I, Forbes is very good discipline. They they insist that your articles are less than a thousand words. So that's yeah, <laughs> good. And, and 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 in the words of um, of uh, oh. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, he said, uh, apologies for writing such a long letter to you. I didn't have time to write a short one. I think that's... Uh, <laughs> that's excellent, yeah. <laughs> I think that's yeah. something we should all follow. Um, I, I think one of the surprising things for me in the tech world is to see how companies will go through the door of and, and make their pitch. And the customer says, I'm not happy with that because... Uh, it doesn't fit with my business because I don't see the value. You're too expensive. It doesn't fit with other technology I'm using. Didn't you know that we're in the process of an amalgamation? Uh, we're in the process of a merger. We're in the process of an acquisition. And, and these seem like legitimate objections, except that they were totally predictable. If you had read up the news on the company before you went in the door, if you'd done your homework, if you open the meeting by finding out through open-ended questions what potential objections they might have, you could be prepared for it. And it becomes even more critical, which has happened to me, where I've been in with startups and the, the objection comes in and we walk out the door and they say, oh yeah, uh, that's the third time we've heard that objection. <sighs> now imagine, <laughs> Imagine what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is totally unprofessional. If a doctor said, this is the third time I've seen this disease and I'm still not sure what it is, you'd say, I think it's about time you started figuring out what the disease is, reading some books or looking it up. So that professional malpractice, as I'd almost call it, is, um, is endemic, it's laziness, and it's something which is unacceptable. And we should and need to prepare for it. Um, it is possible, you know, you take those moments when you're out for your walk on your five, five kilometer limit or you're, uh, when you're in, in a shower, maybe recovering from, a, from some exercise, you, your brain is at slow enough speed that you can start to think creatively. And that's exactly the time to think and prepare for, for what I think are pretty obvious uh, potential objections and making sure that you know what you're going to say when it comes up. A lot of us, when we think of those objections, we run scared and we're, our concerns are, oh my goodness, nobody will ever ask me that. Unfortunately, in my experience, that's rarely the case. If you can think of an objection, I'm fairly sure the customer can as well. And that also takes um, uh, resilience and a, a bit of a thick skin because we can get very sensitive about our babies, our products and services that we've spent so much time developing. So a thick skin, I would imagine, is paramount to these kind of meetings. Absolutely. And that's a great, great point. It is particularly hard for founders who have been part of the creative process, probably have come up with the idea at uh, been part of the development of the technology, um, who have gone through the sweat and tears of getting it to market, and then you're in front of a customer that says, I just don't see why this is relevant, or I think this is too expensive. And it's very hard not to think they're telling you that your firstborn child is not good looking and smart, <laughs> which we all know they have to be because they're related to us. Uh, yeah, they, you're, you're being told your baby is, 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 is ugly, is not, a, is not a good conversation. So how to leave that emotion at the door, how to engage in with passion in presenting your idea 
while still being capable of dealing with objections. It, it, it's a challenge. And it is sometimes where founders eventually have to step out because they are too bound up in it. And you do need professionals to come through the door and with a bit more cold-hearted approach, say, uh, this is how we're going to make this better. Um, sadly, that, of course, happens more frequently than it should. But um, if, if you are one of those founders that's struggling, that is clearly something you need to get ready for. It is the fact that not everybody's going to either love your technology or maybe they're just going to, from a negotiation perspective, to try to drill down the price. They're going to tell you all the reasons why they shouldn't be using it. And that's a whole other podcast in itself, the art of negotiation and and how to play it, how to where to position yourself, where to pitch in price and uh, how to handle that uh, inevitable negotiation afterwards. It's a it's another um, a whole other series. So we might come back to that at some stage, Aidan, with you. <laughs> Great. Other, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other thing before I before I move on, um, you mentioned something a few minutes ago, and that was uh, when you're in when you're in the shower, when you're uh, recovering from exercise or when you're going for a walk or whatever, that your brain is operating slow enough for you to start to think about some of these things that that really interests me so um, and it probably goes counter again to that startup mentality that you you have to be working 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 all the time working things out but uh, obviously you see a a great value in actually stopping and slowing down and um, uh, seeing what happens then it's a a well-known technique and i'm surprised more people don't use it you you often hear of the eureka moment where you know you're in the bath uh, uh, or he was in the bath and he's thinking about the problem and then things that slow down your brain synapses uh cutting the 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 grass um the going for a walk uh repetitive jobs or repetitive um activities cycling these are things that where your brain slows down because it's focused on the activity and that slowness of thinking actually uh, creates the opportunity for creativity. So the method that people use is they think of the problem, business problem, science problem, tech problem, and maybe life problem. They read up as much as they can about what the problem is that they're facing. They take all the details and they absorb all of that. And then they create this moment where they're in harmony with nature, harmony with themselves, where they're focused on some repetitive activity. Um, so with the knowledge that you just gained from that two hours, let's say, of preparation, and then the slowness of a walk that takes you maybe an hour, that is often where the best ideas come from. And I, I did it without even realizing, and then I heard a, a speaker talking about it, and it just became very clear to me how I needed to use that in my favor in future. Because those, those insurmountable problems, they, they're, they're, in, they're called insurmountable for a reason, and it does take tremendous creativity to solve them. You look back at many of the great scientific discoveries of history, or even many of the great uh, negotiations that have taken place from a political perspective, quite often they take place in those settings where something else is distracting us and where we can actually use our creative brain versus when we're doing emails, phone calls, rushing around, trying to juggle lots of balls, no great ideas ever come out of that. It's fascinating stuff. Um, are these some of the things we've been talking about in the in the last little while? Are these some of the lessons we will read in your new book, Two One Four Three: Plan Your Explosive Business Growth? Exactly. So, Two One Four Three is a, a method I've been using for about ten years. Um, it's a very powerful method. 
and it doesn't produce doubling, tripling of business overnight in all cases, but it has. What it does do is take whatever your current trajectory is, whatever your growth plan is, and increase it dramatically. And it's been astonishing to me to see how even a 2143 run with run them with a variety of different tech companies in lots of different businesses. I've run it with traditional businesses like food businesses. I've run it with organizations such as educational organizations, um, uh, organizations associated with governments, et cetera. And in all cases have gained tremendous, tremendous results uh, compared to where, where they were going and where we got to. So I think that the insight that it brings is that in every situation, by creating that brainstorming um, opportunity, it, you, can, you can achieve results that you wouldn't have achieved otherwise. And the 2143 is somewhat counterintuitively. I know everybody says, well, shouldn't it be 1, 2, 3, 4? Or isn't the order wrong? Why is it? So 1, 2, 3, 4 from me represented traditional planning, particularly business planning which is where were we, number one, where are we now, number two, what road are we on, number three, and where are we going to get to, the destination, number four. And realizing that that was the wrong order, particularly for disruption, for transformative uh, breakthroughs, for tech in particular, the realization that starting with the history is usually a waste of time. We all love talking about it, but it takes it's, it's usually uh, we're the star of the movie. We're usually the person, the actor in the middle of it, that we can write the history in a way that makes us ourselves look good. But it doesn't really help us with today and it certainly doesn't help us with transformation. So I like to start off the planning process by focused on today, which is number two. I will cover in the planning process number one, which is... Um, which is where we came from, but only as it's relevant to where we're going, not a long, long story about uh, long history about, uh, about what the company did in the past, in the last 5, 10, 15 years or, or 10, 15 months in the case of a startup. Then I focus on not three, what road are we on? I focus on four, what destination do we want to get to? Because obviously what road we're on should be a, a function of where destination we want to get to, not the other way around. So very small changes with a process of doing this, like some of the process of doing it I've discovered is um, how you engage the discussion. Even in a startup with five, six people, I'll always start not with the founder, I will start with the, uh, the most junior employee and say, can you tell me where we are today? And then I'll work through to the, the founder last. That's been fascinating for me because I found that the, the found, once the founder speaks, everybody agrees. But um, if you can start with the most junior person, you've got really, you're able to get a true insight into where the company is in the eyes of the most, most junior, the most recent uh, person joining the company. That's really interesting, and I guess it, with we, we spoke at the pretty much um, the last time we spoke was 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 at the start of the very first lockdown, almost a year ago, and uh, obviously what we've witnessed in business ever since has just been you know um, phenomenal for good, for better, and for worse. Um, is the need for the kind of uh, different, creative, disruptive approach to business? Uh, that you've just described, is the need for that now more pressing than ever um, now that we find ourselves in a different landscape? I think so. Um, 
clearly we're not going to solve today's problems using traditional thinking. Clearly, we've seen that the ability to pivot, to change. Um, I think you and I last time talked about making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. The ability to to take what is a terrible situation and to find ways to profit, to prosper from it is something which a lot of people don't have. And it's not innate. Um, most of us, when we see a situation like that, we see the donut and we see the hole in the middle of the donut. <laughs> yeah. We say, who stole the middle of my donut? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, um, it's really, really important, I think, to use methods like 2143 if this doesn't come naturally to you, to think about your business again. Um, obviously, uh, when I wrote the book, it's about 100 pages, I wrote a book that I thought could, that could be read between, uh, between Dublin and London on an airplane or, well, maybe Dublin and Paris, but still, you get the idea. I didn't want to write a long book about a process that I think should be a quick process, but it is very, very critical in today's world and we don't know what comes next. You know, obviously, we're always hanging on the words of the government to our governments to see what rules will come in. But this is a pandemic and there still might be a few more twists in the tail. So your ability to pivot your business to whatever the new reality is, is critical. Thank you for sharing your your insights into into business and communication and marketing and technology in the last little while. And if people would like to pick up a copy of 2143 Plan Your Explosive Business Growth, where could they find it? Uh, 2143plan, P-L-A-N.com. Uh, they can find it on Amazon and uh, it is available from the publisher as well. Um, so that that's the easiest place to find it. I'm on LinkedIn, of course, uh, and I write a lot of my articles there. But Patrick, it's been a pleasure as always. And anybody that does want to reach out to me, I try to respond to as many messages as I can. And I think I'm pretty good about responding to them through LinkedIn or any other way. Aidan, thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you very much for joining us on this episode of TELUS International Studios. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Aidan. He really is a fascinating guy. I encourage you to go out and buy his most recent book. It is so full of valuable nuggets in there. Please do hit the subscribe or follow button if you're enjoying the series so far to help us share it with other people. We'll be back very soon with another episode in this series of TELUS International Studios. And I hope you can join us then. (laughs) 